I will not let this republic be split in two. My negotiations will not fail. If they do, there aren't enough Jedi to protect the Republic. We're keepers of the peace, not soldiers. You know I don't like it when you do that. Sorry, Master. I forgot you don't like flying. Well, you've lost him. If you'll excuse me. I hate it when he does that. Anakin, don't do anything without first consulting either myself or the Council. You don't need guidance, Anakin. I see you becoming the greatest of all Jedi. The boy has exceptional skills. His abilities have made him arrogant. Excuse me. I'm in charge of security here, milady. They are using a bounty hunter named Jango Fett to create a clone army. Wait. Must stop them before they're ready. Your clones are very impressive. They'll do their job well. Blast! That's why I hate flying. This is a crisis. The Senate must vote the Chancellor emergency powers. As my first act, I will create a grand army of the Republic to counter the increasing threats of the Separatists. Hasn't been a full-scale war since the formation of the Republic. You must join me, Obi-Wan, and together we will destroy the Sith. The dark side clouds everything. In grave danger, you are. This Clone War has. Hey everyone, Star Wars fans all around. Thank you for listening to Inside the Sequel, your hotspot for all Star Wars talk during the Star Wars Vember um, series we're doing here on Inside the Sequel. I'm your host as always, Chris. And uh, today we're talking about the sequel to Phantom Menace in the prequel sequel in the prequel series, we are talking about Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. And with me again, as always, throughout this entire um, s- series, I have the host of Cobwebs himself. Um, he also told me before we started recording that begun the podcasting has. I have Daniel Epler. Daniel, how are you, bud? Hey, Chris. I'm doing good. I just want to take a moment to say that I really value our friendship. I think our friendship is so great that it's almost as great as the friendship between Obi-Wan and Dex, the diner slob. Oh, buddy. <laughs> uh, why do we have a Disney, like Disney plus series on that friendship? It's gotta be only a matter of time, right? I'm, I'm uh, waiting for yeah. it. <laughs> I'm glad uh, you brought you, when you snapped me when, uh, before recording about watching that, uh, you know, that scene, I was like, that's always a scene as a kid where I was like, ah, I like this scene. I like this diner. And it was, influential enough it was on the lego star wars video game i think about the lego star wars game so much when i'm playing when i'm watching the prequels like every set piece i'm like ah, oh, i remember playing this whole scene in the lego star wars game mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Good times. yeah and that's what the thing with the prequels and especially with this movie there are so many games based off of this movie um just i think like the merchandising success of the first movie i think just you know opened the floodgates for attack of the clones 
Um, yeah, you also had that Django Fett Bounty Hunter game. I actually still have that. You you can nice. buy it. I have it on PS5, and it's like a PS2 game, but I still play it on there. That was the game where I was like, Django, I like more than Boba. But we also never got like a Boba Fett game, granted. But for me, that was just, that was peak video games. Well, in the movies, Django Fett has a lot more to do than Boba Fett uh, until you get to the Disney Plus show. Mm, mm, good point. Uh, but hey, man, how's how, how have things been going? Um, we're going to be talking about Star Wars. Uh, have you been watching any of like the subsequent stuff, like the mini stuff with it? Oh, man, <laughs> have I ever? Um, yeah, I've been going deep into Star Wars this month. Um, I watched Tales of the Jedi, which is a little animated miniseries that Disney Plus recently dropped. Loved that. I finally finished Obi-Wan, which I didn't actually watch the final two episodes back in the summer. Um, I don't know. Like, it wasn't super grabbing me, and the time didn't feel quite right. I kind of dropped off of it. But I finished that up this season, and I still I don't love the Obi-Wan show, but the final episode is the best episode. So recommend finishing that for anybody that may have dropped off like me. But by far the star of the show, the, the best thing I've watched this month is Andor. Andor is incredible. Um, it leaves all other Disney Plus Star Wars shows in the dust. It feels like some of the greatest Star Wars we've ever gotten. It's like it's it's goes so deep into the Star Wars universe and so deeply into the questions of what is it actually like to live under the Empire? Uh, what does it actually take to rebel against it? What does it take in your life um, to get you to go, to do that? And what is it going to cost you? It's so deep into the rebellion and the Empire. I love it so much. The characters are so fascinating. It looks a million times better than any of the Star Wars Disney Plus shows because it's not all green screeny. There's a lot more practical stuff. It's the first of the Disney Plus Star Wars shows that looks like a movie. It looks as good as Rogue One. Um, it doesn't look like The Mandalorian. Anybody who wasn't excited for Andor, I hear you. I wasn't either. It took me quite a few weeks to even check it out. I had no anticipation for it, but... Now that I'm in it, I'm all in. I'm all caught up on it and excited for the final episode that's about to air. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I don't know why I've been sitting back on the Andor, which was what the series I was excited for. I like Diego Luna. I like Rogue One. So very excited to just binge it. I think that's probably why my innate nature with Disney Plus shows are just to wait for the series to release and then just binge the hell out of it. Yeah, and that's, that's kind of what I did. I watched the first five episodes over a few days, and then I took a sick day one day, um, and I watched episodes six through 11. A real sick day. I didn't call in just to watch Andor, <laughs> which was <laughs> real. But, uh, but yeah, I, I totally binged the show, and I'm kind of obsessed with it now. Oh, that's so good to hear. Uh, so, and I'd love to hear your take on when we go through to hear some more about Tales of the Jedi, because I've only watched one episode, and I didn't go in and watch more of it and i've watched clips um so i'd love to hear your point with it because i feel like clone wars it's been 20 years since it first released it's like you know you know it came out in 2002 um i feel like it was such a pivotal point for the mythos of star wars and like the not the expanded universe but like the um you know we talk about like a star wars story now with movies and these disney plus shows i feel like attack of the clones was like that pivotal moment where they decided this is a long timeline of things we can, we can stretch this out, like in terms of other mediums. We can create video games. We can do TV shows um, that kind of, you know, branch off of the Attack of the Clones timeline. And uh, I, I think that's what's really cool about Attack of the Clones. And when we talk about the prequels, I feel like a lot of people gravitate towards this movie to be like 
we need more story during this timeline than anything between three and four or between uh, six and uh, or in six and seven, you know, <clears throat> besides everything before episode one, which, you know, those are like for the really big nerds that really want um, that kind of stuff in Star Wars. Um, and I think that's just an interesting thing to kind of dive into. I feel like this episode could be very jam packed with like so many like what's going on because it's like such a crazy time. It's a literal war that's going on at the beginning of a war. And then right after that, between two and three, it's just so much stuff going on. Yeah, I hear what you're saying, and it's probably because Attack of the Clones is one of the Star Wars movies that expands the universe the most. I think it's one of the most ambitious of the Star Wars movies. Mm -hmm. And But on the same time, it doesn't feel like it tells a lot of story, and the story it does tell even feels a little bit rushed. So I think a lot of people watch Attack of the Clones maybe and are like, whoa, 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 let's slow down a little bit. There's a lot here. Like, let's just kind of dig into this. And that's what, like, the Clone Wars TV show does for a lot of people. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Do you remember the first time you watched Attack of the Clones? I'm going to ask you that every episode. Do you remember when you watched this one? Kind of. This is the only theatrical live-action Star Wars movie that came out in my lifetime that I didn't see in a the theater. Uh, my family didn't really like Phantom Menace. We all skipped Attack of the Clones. So I remember watching it at home, probably on DVD, probably a rental and it not making really any impression on me whatsoever. I don't really remember anything about my reaction. Just like, oh, okay. Um, which is in direct contrast to its sequel. For some reason, I got super hyped up for its sequel, mm -hmm. uh, but attack of the clones just kind of wrote <laughs> off and never rewatched it until like around last Jedi time. When I started going back to the prequels and checking those out. Mm -hmm. I we we're very similar. I did not see this one in theaters either. I think it was yeah. a DVD rental. Um, and I and my grandma had it, and she had one of those cars where you would put a DVD in in the you know the back seats, and you could watch movies. So we you know we had a lot of car rides. It was you know between that and um, School of Rock and a couple other movies. You know, I was Attack of the Clones was always on the queue to be played. Um. I think that's why I got the impression that I thought it was a longer movie. It's not that much even longer than Phantom Menace at all. Um, well, it was the longest Star Wars movie until Last Jedi beat it. Mm. What is that? Like two two hours and 20 minutes? It's uh, This movie is about, uh, let's see, it's two hours and 22 minutes. And then I believe Last Jedi is pretty much an even 2.30. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I think... will note also about not seeing this in theaters. Sam Raimi's Spider-Man came out May 3rd. Attack of the Clones came out May 16th. So I think that was just that time was all about the Spider-Man for me. I was not paying attention to Star Wars. I mean, to be fair, yeah, probably. But with this movie, I don't know. I always thought like the only impression that I got from this movie was I thought the clone troopers were really cool. I thought Jango Fett was cool. And I thought there was just way too much romance that I was like, Bleh, as a kid. Yeah, it, it is funny for um, a franchise that, as George Lucas says himself, he says that Star Wars is morality for 12-year-old boys. Um, it's not exclusive to boys. Girls love Star Wars, too. But it, it is generally for kids. But then to make a Star Wars movie that so hinges on not just romance, but the schmaltziest and steamiest romance you can get for a PG movie is a bold move. <laughs> yeah, like some of this, like the like, like the way the scenes are shot, the music that's playing, the flirt, flirty, you know, parts. I'm like, 
Yeah, it's like this is a lot. This is heavy. It's like <laughs> like everyone wanted to ship Kylo and Rey, but it's like they had nothing on Padme and Anakin in this movie at all. Like if you want to ship anybody, it was just insanely like dripping wet with like sensuality. Like even like the opening <laughs> scene with Anakin seeing Padme, I just felt the tension. I was like, "Oh my god." Like it's just it's like he's hiding nothing. And everyone's just like, and I, you know, the only one, you know, people complain about the dialogue in this movie, but I like how the actors or the characters look at the two men interacting. They're like, what's, what's going on? <laughs> like, they're also kind of like <laughs> aware of this awkward tension here. Yeah. It, um, gosh, it's funny that Anakin Skywalker is a Jedi and he knows that Jedis are not supposed to get married, have relationships, have sex because all of this leads to attachment and the Jedi's are forbidden from attachment. He knows all of this. But then as soon as Padme comes in, he like, <laughs> he gives no shits about hiding any of it. He's just like, I'm super horny. My dick is rock hard right now. I'm announcing this to Obi-Wan. <laughs> I'm announcing this to everyone around me. He's literally biting his lip when he's looking at her. Like mm -hmm. he's Dakota Johnson in 50 shades of gray. <laughs> it's so <laughs> crazy. I, I kind of like it, you know, like if anything, Star Wars, you know, I feel like romance is very much missing in a lot of the Star Wars scenes in movie in the in the movies in the franchise. I would say Solo does a, a really good job of romance um, the most. And I think that's just because the leads uh, as well in the writing. But in this movie, I think it it makes a genuine attempt to show like, you know, Lucas says that the this prequels is to show the downfall of Anakin and the rise of Vader, but you know, you need to see the downfall of Anakin and like the Jedi. And I think this movie really shows how far he, how far he falls from them with his romance with um, Padme, just like how irresistible a normal life outside the Jedi order looks and how hard it is to kind of like resist that urge and temptation. Um, cause like all throughout up until this point, all you hear is like, it's not an easy life. Like it's, it's a very difficult life and you like hear all these things, but the only ideas you get are, yeah, it's a difficult life because you're constantly in danger. Like you're always fighting or trying to, you know, keep peace. But then it's like, what about the other stuff? Like the emotional aspects of it? Yeah. Uh, what do you think about this whole, because this was not in the original trilogy. This was. It, this came about in the prequels. What do you think of this whole thing that Jedi can't have romantic relationships? Uh, it definitely plays more into what we talked about last episode, the, the, the Bible allegories, the Christian allegories, you know, of celibacy and such. Um, but, but also, I think it's kind of ridiculous, but I, I guess in terms of the, the mythology of it, it kind of makes sense. But it also, I think, like we, we, you know, people complain about Lucas and his writing, but I think it's really smart of him to make the quote unquote good guys also have like these bad, you know, this bad dogma within its established order. You know, this very like impractical approach for people or for, I guess, you know, species. I don't think it really like they said fear leads to anger, you know, all that stuff, like the fear of like attachment stuff. But it's like, but they is that why they kidnap kids then? So then they don't have a, an attachment to their parents, too. Like they're just these like solemnly bleak and emotionless type of mystical wizards with laser swords. Like, you know what I mean? If you trim <laughs> it all down, but I don't know. Cause it's like, they talk about like emotions and like being mindful of them. So it's like, you want us to acknowledge these emotions and like push them out or to like, you want us to just like push them out completely. And then there's times where it's like, 
Well, what about like, you know, your fellow Jedi? Like obviously Anakin and Obi-Wan have like a special relationship between the two. Wouldn't that also feed into the whole fear of losing out on your master or your apprentice and such too? Like, I don't know. It just doesn't seem very even. Yeah. Yeah. It seems dumb. It doesn't make a lot of sense. And, and undoubtedly, you know, Anakin's relationship with Padme indirectly or directly does lead to his downfall. But I feel like the whole asking, look, asking a 20 year olds to not be horny and not want to have sex is ridiculous. Um, like, obviously, that still exists today with, like, the priesthood and such and nuns. But, I I, I mean, I think there's conversation about getting rid of that. I, I don't know that that'll ever happen. Um, but it just seems like a bad idea. And um, it, so his relationship with Padme leading to his downfall, I, I feel like maybe it wouldn't have happened if it didn't all have to be secret. Like, if he could confide in somebody other than Palpatine, if he could talk to Obi-Wan, if he could talk to Yoda or whoever about this stuff and just have a normal marriage while also being a jedi it probably would have worked out a lot better so i feel like it's not really his attachment that leads to the downfall maybe it's all of the bureaucratic dogma around it but i'm not really sure but that rule has never really sat well with me no it doesn't and it's and it feels like it causes more harm than good you know like if you join the Jedi Order and it's like you got to give up everything that you love and the people you love to be like in solitude with other people, like other people who have the same abilities as you, what's the glamour of that really? You know, couldn't you like still do Jedi stuff without joining the Order? You know, like a rogue Jedi or like a Force user of sorts? Yeah. Um, And I think that's what's awesome about the sequel trilogy. It really shows like Force sensitive and Force users can still have these emotions and still do good. And not be tempted. Like we talk about Finn, we talk about Ray, um, even Kylo, you know, and to an extent too. Like these are force users that have these emotions, and they, you know, it's kind of like trying to navigate those um, emotions while also having this incredible power to save people. And I think that's what makes the sequel trilogy, I think, heightened a lot more with that whole approach. And I love when, obviously, when Luke and Last Jedi talked about the Jedi Order. Yeah. And I think it goes back to like in my last episode where I was criticizing Yoda and such i think he just also just represents a lot of the flaws of this like want to be omnipotent like order that's not sustainable at all it just has been able to because the sith was around for such a long time so they needed a reason to be around but now that the yeah. sith is quote unquote gone you know now they're just kind of sitting around and you know and then up to the clone wars now they actually have a use so it's like they're not evolving with the times and the circumstances they just kind of got too comfortable Absolutely. And just to be clear, I'm not saying any of this is a problem with Attack of the Clones or the story of the prequels. Like, I think this is absolutely the story. This is how the Jedi were. And this is that these are the things that lead to the fall of the Jedi. So I think all the story is good. I'm kind of just talking about in universe is uh, Mm -hmm. is what the Jedi doing good or not. Um, Yeah, looking at it's so interesting watching this movie, looking at what's happening to the Jedi, because I'm so fascinated by the line when Mace Windu says to Yoda, when when they both realize that the dark side is clouding their vision and the force is not clear to them anymore. And Mace says, we should inform the Senate that we can't use the force as well as we used to. I thought that was so interesting because that's a line I've not keyed into before, before this most recent watch, um, just about how the Jedi realize and acknowledge that their connection to the force is dying. 
that they are not. And, and I think, you know, that plays into how Qui-Gon Jinn talks about um, paying attention to the living force over anything else. Whereas I think Jedi like Yoda and Mace Windu are just more about bureaucracy and rules at this point, And they're not connected to the force like they should be. I think all that is super fascinating. Very good point. And I mean, you feel that tension in that kind of like loss of confidence in the beginning of this movie. Like obviously you get the assassination attempt scene, which is, um, you know, the double gang. I mean, there's a hell of a way to open the movie, but then it goes to Palpatine and talking with the Jedi. And it's like, you see the literal oppositions face to face with each other. And it's awesome. And you kind of see Yoda looking at Palpatine a certain way and Palpatine very meticulously talking the way he does. You get introduced to a bunch of cool Jedi as well. That's why another thing I um, I think as a kid I really appreciated with Attack of the Clones was like it being introduced without really being introduced to a bunch of different types of Jedi that were kind of iconic based on their looks. Um, and I think it really shows that just how much more, like how far, almost too late it is for the Jedi to like, you know, defeat this evil. It seems like Palpatine is just so far ahead of them. And it's like ridiculous. And I love how this movie, more than I think I think Phantom Menace really tries to show, you know, like keep it really under the radar, quote unquote, um, with Palpatine. I feel like in this movie does not pull any punches on showing how evil and meticulous Palpatine is. Yeah. One of my favorite things about the prequels is watching Palpatine, not just because of how good Ian McDermott is, but the story of what he is doing is so fascinating because, you know, I kind of said this on the Phantom Menace episode, too. But, you know, George Lucas realizes that he's making prequels, so we know how it's going. So he can't just have the Star War be a war between the Republic, good guys, and who will become the Empire, bad guys. Instead, he has Palpatine in control of both sides, and he's really just using separatists to cause problems that only he can solve so that he can come in and be like, oh shit, too bad we've got all these issues. I guess we're going to have to nominate more power for me so that I can fix it. <laughs> He's like, you know, a mob boss who beats up on people and then makes them pay him for protection. You know, like that's basically what he's doing. Good point. And good that's, point. that's so fascinating because it makes the prequels an interesting story, not just a story that we already know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I agree. I think that's really good, you know, savvy politician work on his part. But also, um, one thing about this movie that's interesting is that in the opening title crawl, it talks about Count Dooku and how the separatists are having this leader now, this enigma up until this point um, of who Dooku the character is. They talk about him a lot in the beginning of the movie. They, they talk about like they've known him and such, but we as an audience don't know who he is at all. We just get little bits of him at a time. Um, I think for me, I don't know, when every time I watch Attack of the Clones, I feel like there has to be some prerequisite before watching Attack of the Clones to really appreciate it because of that's the approach of the movie is that the villain is somebody that everyone knows, but the audience does not know. And there's an established history there that doesn't really get explained except through little bread breadcrumbs. Um, same with the other characters like Master Sifo-Dyas, um, and I think it's really interesting that when Django is introduced and he talks um, to Kenobi about um, he was hired by a man named Tyrannus. Nobody knows that Dooku's Sith name is Darth Tyrannus, you know, like little breadcrumbs like that as well. I think it's in hindsight, I think it's really interesting and cool to do that. But I think also for a long time, like if we talk about the 20th year, 20 year anniversary now, it's like I think 
it would have been better if there was like some sort of prerequisite series that came out before Attack of the Clones on you know LucasArts side or something like that. But now we do have those things, but it, I think it would have elevated it more. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like George Lucas is kind of way ahead of everybody else. And this movie is pretty much always known as the worst of the prequels. Mm-hmm. And I agree with that. Mm-hmm. And it's often known as, unless people, oh, someone is in a particularly intense Last Jedi hater, it's generally known as the worst Star Wars movie. And also, I would agree with that. But, and I think one reason for that is it's confusing if you're not really deep into this universe. Mm-hmm. Like it just sort of throws out so much little information that if you're not really invested in the Star Wars lore, it's no, it's nowhere near as accessible as A New Hope or Empire Strikes Back or Return of the Jedi are. Like not even close. It's not accessible at all. Um, but to a, a big nerd like me, it's a movie that just keeps getting better the more I watch it, the more the universe of Star Wars is expanded and the more of the expanded universe that I pay attention to and that I take in. It just keeps improving. Because like Dooku, despite loving Christopher Lee, was kind of a boring villain for me a long time ago. But now I love Dooku and I just welcome any little bits of information I can get about him. Mm-hmm. And I love the... um. I love the conversation about Dooku at the very beginning of the movie. I think it's the first conversation uh, where they mention Mace Windu, I think, you know, mentions that he used to be a Jedi. Mm -hmm. And I find it so interesting that they don't seem to have any beef with him, that he left the Jedi. Like they don't seem to have any lower opinion of him. They're just like, oh yeah, he used to be a Jedi. He couldn't assassinate anybody. It's not in his character. And I thought, wow. He's a political idealist, not a Yeah. So they're just like, well, he left the Jedi, but he's still cool. Like we still like him. I wouldn't have guessed that. I thought that was pretty interesting. So even though he's become a Sith Lord, people don't really know that. And they think they think he's just a guy who who went on to future endeavors. And they're like, hey, that's cool. He works over here now. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly my point I was going to say. And it's it's very like, oh, what, why can't I think of the word right now? It's hypocritical that the Jedi are like that towards Dooku. But with Anakin, heaven forbid he wants to marry someone. Or he, he keeps his relationship in order. <laughs> and they're just like, gonna, you know, just like the whole order is going to crumble because of it. Is it because he's the chosen one? Maybe. Um, but also, it shows you very much in the be- first half of this movie how, uh, we've already talked about it, but just like how uh, un- unaware the Jedi are. Like, Master Sifo-Dyas, 10 years ago, goes and, you know, creates the clone army. Um, because, you know, I read the Wikipedia um, and, and other sort, you know, sites that explain background for Star Wars about like how he was similar to a Qui-Gon and a Dooku who had also told the Jedi about a lingering danger with the Sith. And they never listened to him. And he was such in tune with the Force as well. And he decides that, you know, if he doesn't go and create a secret army um now then it'll be too late when the sith does rise he was a little too extreme with it he's a little too sued but he creates the clone army um but i think then also the dooku and i think sidious like manipulate him into using Django, i think and then instilling the order 66 into the clones for the um the the camino people so it's funny that the Jedi had no idea that Master Sifo-Dyas had did it. Now, did he leave the order when he went to go create the clones or not? I don't remember in the reading, but I know he had done that. But then I think it gets manipulated and tampered with by the Sith. And it's like the, 
the Jedi had no idea even like the well intention of that Jedi. And also this movie mentions Master Siphon Diaz. We have no idea who he is as well. For a long time, I thought Master Siphon Diaz was maybe like a nickname Qui-Gon had got. So for a long time growing up, I thought I was like, oh, Qui-Gon's this awesome guy. Even in death, he was looking out for the Jedi um, because there's no clarity on that. And only when I got older, I started to realize those are different Jedi and that, you know, there's just so much background info going on. That's so pivotal. Yeah. Yeah, they just casually mentioned this guy, Master Sifo-Dyas, and <laughs> give no information about who he is, which is pretty funny. Um, yeah, the Jedi are, they're pretty dumb in this movie. <laughs> and they're pretty dumb in the prequel trilogy, like they really are. Um, but they kind of have to be, because we know how this has to go. They have to be the losers. Um, that's also interesting to me. Uh, we haven't really talked about Mace Windu yet. We didn't really on the first episode. What do you think about Mace Windu? Um in this movie, I think he's interesting the way his relationship with Yoda is. He feels like more of a presence than a bully in the, in the third movie. He feels very more optimistic in this. Um, I also just, when I watched Phantom Menace, I said it um, to Charlie. I was like, I just can't believe they got Samuel Jackson to do this. I think this is awesome. You know what I mean? Yeah. And just like, it's a treat to see him on screen. I like Mace Windu in the second movie because... Again, more background information. I understand that him and Dooku had beef because he got selected to be in the Jedi Council over Dooku. Um, and I know that he is a little bit more strong physically than with the Force, but he's also a very strong Force user. And I like how he's kind of like co-leader of the Jedi with Yoda, and you see that it a lot of seem times. so, yeah. Because of this movie, they're always together with Obi-Wan. And I love that three... Um, three-piece relationship that you also see in Revenge of the Sith as well, um, where they're talking. But in this movie, he feels more hopeful, more more hopeful and well-intentioned than maybe even Obi-Wan is. Obi-Wan's very, very much, you know, critical and concerning of Anakin than he is in Revenge of the Sith. And we talked about- He's overly critical. He doesn't understand. Yeah. You know, I kind of get it. And it's like, he's- He's like, who should I be worried about? I'm worried, worried about him. You shouldn't be worried about him. I'd be more worried about her, like when they're they're going to leave. But Obi Wan's also like, you do know he's the chosen one, right? He is going to be, you know, bringing the uh, the balance. And then you know, Yoda's also like, you know, he's young, and he's like, uh, and then Obi Wan's like, but he's arrogant, you know, and it, it clouds him and stuff like that. And we're like, oh, yeah, just tell your bosses that you know your your Padawan is just you know a possible threat to your whole order. You know what I mean? <laughs> There's no guidance for him either. Um, like when Yoda is like pondering the dreams of Anakin, he goes like telling Mace Windu like he's in real big like harm and he's really hurt right now. It's like, well, send somebody to go help him. You know, like if there's a Jedi in order, you're just going to sit there and just like, oh, man, he's really he's really battling demons on another planet right now. Let's just see if he can get through it. <laughs> man, this is. This is a dense movie, man. There's so much to dig into. Um, I know. That's why this movie's so fascinating. There's a pivotal movie. It really movie. is. Like, it, it's a movie that a lot of the execution is not great, but there is so much depth to it, and there's so much to dig into that it's, it's widely considered a bad movie. I cannot possibly consider it a bad movie mm -hmm. because it's just way too ambitious and has way too much on its mind. It's way too interesting. It, it just, you know... Is there some bad CGI? Is there some bad dialogue? Yes, absolutely. But there's a lot of cool stuff. With Mace Windu, I think it's so interesting that they cast Samuel Jackson for it because Mace Windu is this incredibly 
calm and collected character and Samuel Jackson at this, at least at this point, but probably still now is generally known for being for yelling and having emotional outbursts, like in Pulp Fiction. So this is something completely out of his wheelhouse. Um, but I think he's great. I think he comes across unlikable sometimes, but I think that's by design because I think he's supposed to be kind of a dick and kind of representative of how the Jedi are not great people anymore. Um, but he, one one great thing about him is he just looks awesome. Like he just looks like an he looks phenomenal in his Jedi robes, and they reveal he has a purple lightsaber in this. It's so cool. Um, everyone, any any kid watching this wanted a Mace Windu action figure. My brother and I certainly did. <laughs> when it comes to Obi-Wan, a weird thing about this movie, and it is one failing that I think the movie has, is I think this movie should have been used to sell the friendship between Obi-Wan and Anakin. Because their friendship is important. And in A New Hope, Obi-Wan mentions that Anakin was a good friend. Um, and they don't seem like friends in this movie. They don't seem like they get along at all. I think the next movie, like the first act of the next movie, does a great job making up for that. But we'll we'll get around to that. Mm -hmm. But um, I do think it becomes very clear in this movie that Obi-Wan and Anakin are just too close in age to be Master and Padawan. Because it's clear that Anakin considers them equals and in, because they both like had the same master, except Anakin had that master very briefly, but they weren't that far apart in age, probably about 10 years apart in age. And, um, and Anakin says in many ways, I'm ahead of him. So he kind of considers them like competitors more than master and apprentice. So Anakin's just kind of pissed off all the time because he's just got this guy who he considers an equal or even a rival and he has to get bossed around by him all the time. And it just kind of pisses him off. Mm -hmm. So it does a good job selling why Anakin is mad in this movie. But I don't know that Anakin always being pissed off in this movie was really the right move for the second film in the trilogy. Right. And that just opens. Yeah. That, and that just opens up another criticism for its time about Haiti Christensen is the cast of Anakin. Um, I remember people just being really upset with him and his range as an actor and his portrayal of Anakin. I remember that being like the big, you know, arms up in the air and people like getting upset with it. Um, I think Hayden, uh, um, Hayden Christensen portrays Anakin really well. I think he has the look of a very young, struggling Jedi who has a lot to hold back. Um, but yeah, I, I think even in the opening part where he's like, where he's like Obi-Wan in the elevator um, is like talking about like, um, you know, I feel like when we, you know, we're going to get in that trap that we had in the other off planet. And Anakin's like, well, no, I saved you. Remember? And he's like, oh, yeah, that's how it went and stuff like that. And it's like it is kind of like bickering, like small little bickerings. And then, oh, my God, even like the secondhand embarrassment I get when they're with Padme talking and Obi-Wan goes. No, we're going to be mindful of the Jedi's um, instructions to be like security. And he's like, come on, you know, Master, that's overkill. It's implied that we're going to be investigating this. And it's like, you know, he's like, you will learn your place, young one, and stuff like that in front of Padme. And I'm like, oh, man, like all clout that Anakin has with Anakin, with, <laughs> with uh, Queen Amidala, or Padme, excuse me, is uh, like all gone now. Like the Yeah, second... he's just immediately mouthing off. Yeah, it's just like, ah, like that, like. I mean, it's just like very uncomfortable conversation. I like how it sh you know goes over to Jar Jar. And he's just watching too. It's like, like this is like really uncomfortable right now. And the way they're talking while Padme is sleeping, and they're kind of having like a battle of wits of sort to see who has more 
of a connection to the force and because anakin always kept saying like i know exactly what's going on in there and then Obi was like actually my force skills are sharper than yours so i know what's going on too and he's like why well, sense it me too and then they run in and it's like they're having like this bickering of who's better like you said and yeah. i agree and i think that's uh intentionally um and then when you watch obi-wan the show the flashbacks of them battling together like fighting and dueling each other um kind of I guess elevates um, that competitiveness and that kind of like a strange relationship they had very early on. Because I think during the cutscene with Obi Wan in the in the Kenobi show with Anakin, um, I think he still has the the Padawan braid. I think I don't think he's in Episode Three Anakin yet. Um, I could be mistaken, but that's how I interpreted that flashback in Kenobi, among other things, for Attack of the Clones. Um, it kind of makes more sense in that way. And again, like you said, I think Three is kind of odd where they're just buddy buddies all of a sudden. But it's like, are they buddy buddy because they survived um, not getting killed by Dooku? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't know where the, I, the where it grows, Although, unless it's with time. I think when you took away the rank out of their relationship and the fact that Obi-Wan is Anakin's boss, I think once you took that away, it improved their relationship a lot because now they can just be friends. Um, and Obi-Wan doesn't have to boss him around anymore. So I think he probably likes Obi-Wan better when he's not his boss. Mm, good point. Good point. It's like when your, your shift manager is younger than you and telling you to do the dishes or something, <laughs> but you've been working there longer. <laughs> it's almost like that. It's almost like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I have, I love Hayden Christensen. I don't think Anakin as a character completely works in this movie. And I don't blame Hayden Christensen for any of it, really, because I think he's handed a lot of bad dialogue. Mm -hmm. And I think he's also he's acting. He's often acting against nothing. <laughs> if you watch behind the scenes, behind the scenes stuff from this movie, it's all blue and green screen like they're hardly ever on any kind of set. So that's a struggle to act just with actors on a blue screen and just kind of have to imagine what's going on. Mm -hmm. I think George Lucas's direction, Hayden Christensen, probably wasn't always great. Um, but I think I really like Anakin in the second half of this movie. I don't so much in the first half because for some reason they make the decision to make him more likable as the movie goes, mm -hmm. where it seems like it would have made more sense to have him start in a really likable place and then get darker as the movie goes. But he, in the first half of the movie, he's really bratty immediately to Obi-Wan and he's constantly mouthing off, like you said, but also his like, it's, almost like a date montage with Padme when they're on Naboo and like they're always wearing these sexy outfits and they're all these beautiful locations and they're doing nothing but just chilling and most of those scenes are not great and um his flirting is like weird and creepy a lot I will say I will defend two of those scenes though one is the I don't like sand line mm -hmm. everybody makes fun of this line the line in context completely makes sense. He's just talking about how, like, I don't really like my desert planet because I'm on this, the most beautiful planet ever. And yep. I like this place a lot better. And I'm yep. like, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And two, I love the scene when they're sitting in the field and he's talking about how the galaxy should work and how he doesn't believe the system works and how everybody should just agree to do what's right. And she's like, well, people don't agree. And he's like, well, maybe somebody wise should make them. That is a great scene, a great look into his ideology and how it's going to lead to an eventual dictatorship. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that scene a lot, too, when he's talking about that. Also, you get great memes during these date montage scenes, too. This is true. This is uh, true. <laughs> so people, you know, like people don't 
give credit where credit's due. Lucas was again working way ahead of everyone else. Um, Prequel is the meme trilogy. Yeah, but I think also those scenes really elevate. Not, I keep saying elevate. Keep. I think they show Padme's proudness as moving on from queen to now a senator. She's really tough in this movie. Like she's kind of badass. Um, even with like dialogue like warding off Anakin. But also kind of feels like she is under attack, like you said, like with like out of pocket comments, you know, and she's kind of like, uh, OK, you know, but then she like, you know, friend zones it by saying you'll still always be that little boy on Tatooine and stuff like that. I love like she, you know, gives him that. Um, she's very headstrong. I think she's trying to be like the mature one, but also understand where Anakin is coming from a lot of times. Um, also, with being on Naboo, um, I love how it shows that Anakin is appreciative of the life he has. Cause like the, up until the point before Naboo, it's kind of seems like he's, you know, he's saying all these things like, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm ready for the trials and all this stuff. But then it kind of shows that he wouldn't mind just having this nice life with somebody away from the order. Cause it seems like he's always trying to convince himself that I have to be this great Jedi. I have to be part of the order. But like for a second in these scenes, he's like disconnected from all that and just kind of enjoying life. And he seems way happier up until he gets the uh, the nightmare scene about his mom. Um, and then it kind of shows that he's cursed with the force more than like he's wanting to be gifted with it. Well, he's like a lot of 20 year olds. He's ambitious and horny. <laughs> it's a very common combination when you're 20 years old. And he's such a mama's boy, too. He is. He is for sure. And I think that whole thing on Tatooine is great. I love like that. I don't. I don't really like Anakin and Padme's relationship building while they're in Naboo. Mm -hmm. Cause like the scene by the fire, I think it's easily the worst scene in the movie. Mm -hmm. It's really bad. It's, <laughs> just like, it's uncomfortable. It's really uncomfortable. And I'm with you. Like I want more romance in star Wars. Love me some romance among the stars. Um, but that doesn't, it just feels really weird and rushed and how they're just like discussing how they can't, can't be together but they want to and it just doesn't feel right. i'm haunted by the kiss um, that you should not have given to me yeah it's really it's like, rough it's like it's like if a girl drink kisses you when you're drunk and you you know like oh she likes me and she wants to date me and you hit her up the next morning and she doesn't remember you and stop you're, texting her yeah and then like she's like <laughs> it was just like like, yeah it's kind of like ee, get a hint but you know yeah persistence love, right yeah, for sure. But I do love their relationship building once they leave Naboo. Yes. And it's more just about Anakin dealing with the fate of his mother, dealing with that pain, her being there for him, them fighting in the Battle of Geonosis together and bonding over that. I think all that stuff is pretty darn good. Yeah. Now let's go to Tatooine because I love the Tatooine parts. You get to see Watto. Yeah, you, I mean, and then, of course, you got to go back to a desert planet, <laughs> which I, you know, I love. And you get introduced to Luke, uh, Luke's inevitable home in four, which anytime the prequels kind of homage anything to the original trilogy, I kind of get excited. So Definitely. I love seeing that. You get introduced to Lars, Cleve, and Uncle Owen and Aunt Peru. I think that's really great. Um, Edgerton, shout out. Yeah, like little did he know, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, I love like those scenes. I like when Watto recognizes Anakin because I think what's an, uh, an important piece of the first movie um, with Watto and Anakin's relationship is yes, Watto's like his slave owner technically or overseer. He still cares about Annie. Like he he like says, if you clean these things, I'll let you go home early and stuff like that. I like you get to go home and such and has like this relationship where they talk. It's not more or less like 
do what I say and that's it. He cares. There's a there's a sense of like responsibility and care for Anakin. And in this movie too, it shows like he recognizes Annie and stuff like that. But then he goes back to he's like, hey, you want to help me with some deadbeats who owe me a lot of money, you know? But he's like talking about Shmi at the same time and how he took care of her and married her and stuff. Um, kind of makes me happy to see Watto, but then it's kind of sad and gross when he goes like, I had to sell her though. Well, he didn't I marry didn't... Shmi. He sold Shmi. Sorry. I got yeah, that, that part. God, no. Yeah. She did not marry yeah. Watto. I think Watto's just a piece of shit. <laughs> um, I don't think he's redeemable. Um, I mean, for one thing, he's a slave owner. And also, he seems like he's just friendly to Anakin because Anakin is now in a much higher social standing than he is. So he has to be friendly. And also, he wants to use Anakin to get some debts collected for him. I mean, you got to get your money somehow, though, right? <laughs> in a in a place like that full of scum and villainy he would have been like hey Anakin help me get some Taylor Swift tickets <laughs> but he might if you do that he might even give you one at half the cost <laughs> he might he might yeah he's just not the absolute monster that's on Jakku who's saying what else portion oh I love that guy <laughs> Simon Pegg yeah uh, <laughs> when he goes and sees like where um you know, Lars is and stuff like that. The introduction to all that family dynamic. It's a very like it's if you, if you take away that it's Star Wars, it's a very awkward introduction to a new piece of family, I guess, new family members, you know, like under these circumstances. Like, oh, my mother, you know, married your dad. So we're step I love how uh, Owen's just like, I guess that makes us step half brothers or something like that. And it's like he's taking it very well, but this is a very awkward situation that they're all in right now, you know? Um I just love all that stuff. And when, you know, Lars explains everything that's going on, I think as a book of Boba Fett, um, everything with the prequels of the Tusken Raiders makes me kind of feel a little eh. But I think that's because the book of Boba Fett did really well with that stuff. Um, but when Anakin decides to go hunt the um, the Tusken Raiders who took his his mom, I love that little montage of him just driving with the music playing on the speeder. and He's talking to Jawas and stuff like that. Love that part. Yeah, I think maybe Book of Boba Fett has improved Attack of the Clones more than any of the other movies, because one, it's deep in the Tusken Raiders and it shows the Tusken Raiders civilization and what they're actually like and how they function. And obviously these Tusken Raiders and Attack of the Clones are a particularly evil tribe. Mm -hmm. They do horrible things to Shmi. Um, and clearly the Tusken Raiders that Boba Fett interacted with were a diff very different tribe. Right. Um, but also, a lot of people complained about seeing little kid Boba Fett in this movie. We're like, I don't want to see Boba Fett as a little kid, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but um, that's all been deepened by Book of Boba Fett and, and him being Jango Fett's clone son um, and him having to watch his father die on the battlefield. That's all become very meaningful now. Yes. So that's why, you know, Star Wars, it's, it's crazy how I feel like it's a franchise that just kind of makes everything work eventually. It eventually smooths everything out. Yeah, and I love the the, the little parts where, you know, Star Wars is with the, the, the cutaway scenes, right? Like it's a, like it's Google Slides or whatever. Um, I like the, I like how it transitions between Obi-Wan and Anakin's adventure constantly because it seems like they're, they're both battling but in very different ways. Like it seems like Anakin's battle is constantly very emotional and then Obi-Wan's are always very physical. But also kind of like him realizing this order that he's been with is very much in the dark. And also at the same time, um, you know, he's up against a lot by himself. Like his back's pushing against the wall when he's fighting Django, obviously. 
And then when he goes to Geonosis and he's overhearing the political conversations with the separatists, um, I really, I really enjoy that stuff with Obi Wan. I think Obi Wan's journey is very interesting, but I think it's also because the villains are super cool. Like I think Jango and his battle of like words with Obi Wan in the investigation interrogation is really great. I also think it's really cool. Um, the actual battle with Jango, and then when he's on Geonosis, um, just talking to Dooku. Oh my god, that scene is awesome yeah i love obi-wan in this movie love ewan mcgregor love his whole storyline his investigation thing i think it was it might have been something that lost people when they first saw this movie because i think it can be confusing if you're not really paying attention mm -hmm. but i like that whole investigation um i think ewan mcgregor is is so charming like where hayden christensen has a lot of struggle with being charming in this yeah. ewan mcgregor is super charming and and likable and I think his fight with Jango Fett, I mean, I think that's probably my favorite action scene in the movie. It's a really, really cool scene. It's a really cool fight between a guy with a lightsaber and a guy on a jetpack with a blaster. I think it was also probably really satisfying to people, especially back in 2002, because we never really got to see Boba Fett do that much. Mm -hmm. And we get to see a basically Boba Fett character, his father in a very similar suit, um, do um do some cool Boba Fett a Fett action Mandalorian action and uh, and I imagine that felt particularly special in a world without the Mandalorian and the Book of Boba Fett mm -hmm. and we get Tamara Morrison as the clones and as Jango Fett and I love him love him in these movies mm -hmm. love him as Boba Fett in the future TV shows he's just become such a, a a precious part of Star Wars to me yeah he's very much up there like with the he's like the the actor himself is very much like for me like the Darth Maul character in Star Wars where he's very much iconic like that yeah. voice his look you know what I mean because he plays yeah, different characters yeah he's the um the badass bad guy whereas Count Dooku love Count Dooku he's basically what if Count Dracula was a Sith Lord and they even went so far with it as the cast Christopher Lee so you got your Dracula bad guy and then you got your badass action bad guy mm -hmm, mm -hmm. excuse me every time I watch Attack of the Clones and it's the Kamino scenes my mind yeah. always goes to Lego Star Wars and the Kamino se segment of that game because I think it's That's my every favorite. scene in this movie for me. <laughs> but I think it's like it's my favorite like segment of the video game of Lego Star Wars. I love that Camino part because like there's so much Easter eggs and stuff like that. And I just think about like the hallways of Obi Wan just walking there and chasing Boba Fett around, and Boba Fett just running Absolutely. with his head bobbing around <laughs> like a Lego character. Um, but yeah, well, it I is every scene for me. My biggest Lego Star Wars moment in this movie is Anakin and Padme on the the droid building part of Geonosis. That all I think about is Lego Star Wars segment. So chaotic. Like even yeah. like in the movie itself, it's very chaotic. Um, There's so good action scenes in this movie. That's all I'm saying. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I will say in terms of style of this movie, though, since we're talking about action, it definitely has a stark contrast to Phantom Menace's action. It's way more CGI. Yeah. Like basically, like you said, it's all green screen. It's very digitalized. It's a little bit clearer, but it doesn't look practical in a lot of segments. Yeah, I give this movie a lot of credit for being very stylized and very experimental because movies were not being made like this in 2002, making like everything green screen. Um, I think for the time, the effects are amazing and the CGI is a massive leap from the CGI in The Phantom Menace. But Phantom Menace ultimately visually holds up better because 
because it uses way more practical stuff. And the practical stuff is just going to hold up better than the CGI in 2002 is, or even CGI today. So I do think Phantom Menace is a better looking movie, but I give George Lucas a lot of credit for really trying some new things with this one. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. One thing about this movie that I I noticed um, when I was watching it was like the use of night and day segments. There's a lot of daytime stuff and it feels very safe a lot of times when the sun is out or when like, you know, it's, it's, you know, there's not a lot of danger going on, but every time there's night scenes, like you think about the chase on Coruscant, you think about Django versus Kenobi, you think about Anakin and the Tusken Raiders, even like that stuff is very dark. And even with the, we'll talk about it in a sec, in a little bit, but like the Dooku versus Obi-Wan and Anakin, they cut the lights out during that scene too. And it seems like the, when there's a lot of like absence of light, or the sun, it seems like there's always some sort of danger scene going on at that time. Um, even when Anakin, after he comes back from the Tusken Raider slaughter, and he's talking to Padme, it's a little bit of a dark room in a basement that he's in talking about like evil stuff. And you hear like the Sith anthem playing while he's talking. I really like that part in this movie. The, I think Phantom Menace really didn't have that. It's a very bright movie. A lot of it's in the daytime most of the time, except when the bad guys um, with Maul and Sidious are talking when it's really yeah. just dark. Uh, but in this movie, I felt like that was it almost felt intentional because a lot of the segments, it cuts from night to day. And a lot of the times that in the nighttime, there was things like danger going on. Yeah. Yeah. The prequel trilogy does a really good job of um, building in darkness because Phantom Menace does feel like a very light, happy go lucky popcorn movie. It has some intense stuff. It has some sad stuff, but it does feel very light. And then this movie, a little bit darker, like you said, and then Revenge of the Sith, full on bleak. So they he they he did a really good job, not just making this a fully dark trilogy or not dark enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really good balance. Also, when Definitely. we were talking, we were talking about uh, things I liked um, in the prequels that kind of homage the the original trilogy. Um, the part with Zam and she's in the in a bar in Coruscant, and Obi Wan and Anakin are looking for her. And you get like that guy asking if he wants to buy, um, what is he? Did he say dead sticks or something like that? And he says, do you want to go yeah, reevaluate your life? And I'm like, oh yeah, that's old Ben in the cantina right there. I love that little part. Also Maybe really cool. my favorite moment of comedy in the movie. Really, yeah. really good. Also for me, I think it's a really cool delivery where he, Anakin just goes, Jedi business, go back to your drinks. And I'm like, Ooh. And it's a great meme. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So the Tusken Raider stuff. As a kid, I guess I wasn't as aware of the genocide. I just always like felt like, yeah, kill those people that killed your mom. But also at the same time, I'm like, as an adult, I'm like, Jesus Christ, like that's fucking dark to put in a movie like that. Yeah, I think Hayden Christensen's performance in that scene gets made fun of a lot, but I think unfairly because I just think the raw emotion of it is so powerful. Um, I mean, you can call it over the top, but it's a really horrific moment in his life so i think it's perfectly appropriate um when he says i killed the not just the men but the women and the children too it's a really good look into how he is fully willing and able to use his power for whatever for whatever he feels like he should and he doesn't necessarily hold himself back and think about well, what is the right thing to do he doesn't always think that the way that say an obi-wan would if there is an injustice that he sees, he's willing to do whatever it takes to make himself feel like he's taking care of it. And that is a really great look into uh, a really great precursor to what is going to be his entire arc in Revenge of the Sith. So I think all that stuff is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I do, however, wish, I mean, 
I'm sure it would have been too violent. That's probably the reason too violent for a star Wars movie, but I kind of wish we had seen the massacre a little bit. We'd seen more of that action scene, but maybe it just would have been too horrific. It would have been very like weird to see, you know, like, yeah, maybe help- so. like they're not helpless, but compared to a Jedi, they probably are. Yeah, they um, are. Mm-hmm. But it is also it's uh, I think it's an homage against the original trilogy. I mean, you saw what the Tusken Raiders did to Luke on episode four when old old uh, old Ben comes to save him. You know, uh, it kind of yeah. shows the kind of like the attitude that the Tusken Raiders had at the time or uh, some specific tribe near that area. Um, yeah, I, I remember when I was watching we were watching it, Charlie and I. She, when Padme is listening to Anakin, she's like, oh, and she still loves him. <laughs> I was like, you got a point. But also it's like, you know, maybe she she's gone through some trauma. Like, I don't know. I'm not trying to justify this like killing. But at the same time, it's like for a story, it's like that's like a very, very like literal representation of like what you said. Exactly. Um, and I think the older I get, the more I like, like, I think that's really good, George Lucas, for putting that little dark scene in there to show. And you hear the Vader theme when he's talking about it, too. And immediately he does not take responsibility other than the killing. He blames Obi-Wan. Like, everything is Obi-Wan's fault. And that shows, like, his flaw as, like, not being mature is that he doesn't take responsibility. He's just responsible for the justice, the good parts of it. And I think that shows the yeah. flaw of Anakin is that it's not his fault. It's always someone else's fault. But then again, it's a Jedi's fault. Which shows why yeah. he's maybe more willing to join Palpatine, not just because Palpa- uh, Padme in like the dying dreams, but maybe because he's feeling like the like Dooku in Tales of the Jedi, he feels the Jedi are accountable for a lot of personal loss. Yes, yeah. As uh, as Matt Bledsoe might say, Anakin is a hound for justice, <laughs> but he doesn't have the wisdom to recognize the difference between justice and revenge or just lashing out in your emotions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a very eerie seed, but then it goes into uh, a really good segment where I love the scene where Aunt Obi-Wan says, Anakin transmit my, um, my message to the Jedi and Coruscant. And then just Obi-Wan just talking and delivering all the nitty gritties of what's been going on, on Geonosis and investigations. And then he gets attacked by Droidicas. I really like that. It's a very thematic moment where it's like, this is like where the movie is telling the audience in a very stylized, cool way of what, what's been going on. I really like that. And it shows the technology as well um, being used, which is cool. And then it's like... I like it too. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, and it shows like it's a call to action. Like the Jedi like, go see the clones, I will, in this army. And it's like, we're going to grab as many Jedi as we have and stuff like that. It's like, where the fuck are all the Jedi then? Like all the Jedi we have available. Where are all, all, all of them then? Because it seems like that school is full. Um yeah, really get gets me amped. Yeah, I like that too. And one of my favorite moments in the movie is right after that call when Padme's like, mm-hmm. we got to go help Obi-Wan. And Anakin says, hey, I just got orders to stay here. So we're going to do that. And she says, hey, you got orders to protect me and I'm going. So we're you have to come with me. And he just smiles and is like, fuck yeah. That movie, <laughs> that scene is great. And it that little moment does so much more to communicate their building relationship to me than any of the shit on Naboo. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Gosh. Yeah. And uh, I, and then when they go to Geonosis and in that all, I think that's parts are really fun, but you get the next part, you get the Obi-Wan and Dooku stuff. Let's talk about that. I really like that confrontation between Dooku and Obi-Wan. Absolutely. I think it's maybe one of, one of the scenes. 
think it's one of the most pivotal scenes of the whole trilogy. Um, and I always laugh when I when I watch it because he's so naive, he's so stubborn to open his mind to Dooku and maybe think about. And that that's why I think the ending of this movie is kind of interesting, the way he talks as well. Obi Wan about the confrontation with Dooku. It feels like, and again, like this is the part where I'm hoping you talk about like the segment a little bit in Tales of the Jedi. It feels like it's Dooku kind of reaching out and saying, hey, man, there's something going on. This is like me as a Jedi, like a former Jedi talking instead of like this Sith Lord. Yeah. So uh, it's communicated in this movie that Dooku was Qui-Gon Jinn's master. And we get to see a little bit of that in Tales of the Jedi. There's one episode where it's Master Dooku and Padawan Qui-Gon out on a mission, which is so cool to see. And Dooku really cares about Qui-Gon. And it's communicated that they're very close, very good friends. And there's actually a scene in Tales of the Jedi. Uh, well, there's an episode of it right after Qui-Gon has died and, um, and Dooku mourning him. And it's very emotional. So I believe in that scene that Dooku cares about Obi-Wan. And I think he does because of Qui-Gon. And I think he's completely sincere when he wants Obi-Wan to turn, not necessarily because like, whoa, I'm the evil one and I want to convert you to my evil ways, but because he genuinely cares about Obi-Wan, he would ra much rather have Obi-Wan inside than have to fight him. So that whole um, level of it is so interesting to me. And I love that Dooku doesn't lie to Obi-Wan. He says, there's a master of the Sith in control of the Senate and in control of the Republic, and you are all a bunch of pawns. And Obi-Wan's like, what? That could never happen. The Jedi would sense it. And of course, he's wrong. And Dooku is right. So Dooku is, in a way, manipulating Obi-Wan, but manipulating him with the truth. Mm -hmm. Not the whole truth, because he doesn't say the Sith Lord in, in, that's in control of you is also in control of me. So it's not like Dooku is the good guy here. Um, he's just as bad. But I think that part is so fascinating. So that's also one of my favorite scenes in the movie, for sure. I like how he's like, what does he say? I'll give you the truth. The truth? The truth. And he just tells him. He's like, join with me, Obi-Wan. We can destroy the Sith. It's just just like, hearing Christopher Lee's voice in Star Wars gives me tingles, man. It's right, so good. Right? The fact that his name's Count as well. And he has this really cool robe. His lightsaber. Uh, he's just like peak badassness <laughs> of the prequels. He's Darth Dracula, basically. <laughs> they even gave him the Count title. So yeah. good. <laughs> I also like how they couldn't figure out who had deleted the archive files when it's been implied that Dooku was very interested in Jedi history and archives. It's like, yes, duh. we see it in Tales of the Jedi. We see him delete the archive. Mm -hmm. Perhaps the records are incomplete. Another great meme. The, yeah. The fact that the Jedi <laughs> Master and Jedi Knight, Obi-Wan and Yoda, um, couldn't figure out why Kamino wasn't showing up, but a little youngling could explain it to them. <laughs> <sighs> I like when Yoda straight up roasts Obi-Wan for all the younglings. He's like, ooh, Master Planet, have you? <laughs> Oh, it's like if you stop speaking in riddles, things would get solved a lot faster. I think in rewatching these prequel <laughs> movies, my I have such a disdain for Yoda now, which sucks because I used to love Yoda. But there's such a disdain I'm growing with him. I kind of hear you because, um, I mean, it fits with the story because he has to be such a massive failure that he straight up exiles himself to where we find him in Empire. But I love Yoda in Empire Strikes Back so much. I think he's one of the greatest supporting characters yes. in all of cinema. Mm-hmm. And I wish that in the prequels, he had a little bit of that goofiness, that sass to him yeah. that I love so much. But he does 
doesn't have it in the prequel trilogy. He's mostly just serious. So I find him a little bit boring. And again, I think it works for the story because clearly he just got to be a weirdo living alone on Dagobah for all that time. But I think it may have been, would have been better for entertainment value of the audience if he was a little bit more of a weirdo in these movies. Yeah, very good point. Also, he says, go and see this clone army on Camino. And it's like, how do you know where Camino is? It's not on any archive map. And I don't think Obi-Wan directly showed you how to get there. He just pointed it should be somewhere here. You know what I mean? Hey, he's a boss who doesn't want to give step-by-step instructions. He's like, I'm going to give you an endpoint. You need to figure out how you get there. Good <laughs> <laughs> um, Also, I love, yeah, we were talking about Dooku. Dooku is like a master of gaslighting, and I love it. It's just, <laughs> he's, I wish Qui-Gon would hear. He would show you, you know, he would tell you the same things I'm telling you and stuff like that. It's like, oh my God, dude, like chill out. That's true. Yeah, he's invoking the supposed opinions of a dead person that can't be known. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I love the little round circle the separatists have with Count Dooku and Dooku's just giving them like a board meeting pitch about giving a, give us your money to support this separatist movement from the Republic. <laughs> and this whole movie is all about like, oh my God, are they going to go to fighting? We don't have an army. What if they have an army? You know, and it's like, all about politics and all about you know leaving and you know basically a, a civil war right and uh the separatists are all these like really rich aliens <laughs> and they're just like still not 100 sure about giving money to dooku and um palpatine except a few that like and then when they do donate then dooku's gonna like good yes much appreciated and then it's like everyone's like okay yeah maybe we will donate a little bit money and stuff like that i think that's a really funny scene to just see them like talk about business more than like taking over the galaxy yeah it kind of reminds me of how a, a big part of andor is how do we get money to fund a rebellion and that, that's something you know you never thought about when you watch your original trilogy but it's a big point of conflict in andor which i think is so interesting right and it kind of shows just like how minuscule viceroy gunry was in the first movie like he's only one company of the trade federation there's like eight other guys who are doing battle droids and it sounds like they get super battle droids now too and it just makes their army so much bigger um you know, it kind of just shows the level of like how big this separatist movement is. For a long time, I always thought it was just the first movie. And then because they're back again, you know, Newt Gunry is such, you know, I thought they're all under the same thing. But I was like, no, they're separate, separate companies. It's like if, you know, Google and Microsoft and like, you know, I don't know what Elon Musk, Tesla, they were like, you know what, we're dipping out. We're making our own country and like you're going to fight against the U.S. or whatever. It kind of felt like that when I was watching this movie, like a bunch <laughs> of rich aliens. Um, and I think the introduction of super battle droids and stuff really shows like in like a so many different types of things that the separatists have but before um, the clones show up in Geonosis, um, I think is really cool. I think it really shows like the technology moving forward in an already futuristic world. I think that's really fun. You know, Elon Musk does sound like the name of a weird alien he asshole kinda, in yeah. Star Wars. He, he, he kind of does. <laughs> Would he be the type that says, no need to report that unless there is something to report? <laughs> probably, probably. Yeah, he seems like he would bow down to Dooku. Um, so the Geonosis thing, um, I think is really cool. They're like termites, which is kind of interesting. And they're like in a coliseum, like a la like the Roman coliseums, which I think is really interesting. Yeah. Um, so, 
you know, a year right after Gladiator, right? Or was it two years after Gladiator had came out? So two years. So they're probably writing off the high of that because that movie is so successful. Um, I never thought about that. That's an interesting point because that, yeah. that movie won Best Picture, so it had a huge impact. Mm-hmm. Back then, Best Picture winners had big impacts. They don't anymore. <laughs> Nobody remembers Best Picture winners what, anymore. One last year? I don't even remember. Um, <laughs> Nomadland, I think. Uh, it must have been a streamed movie, I think. A movie everybody is still talking about. <laughs> it's been 24 years since Gladiator. We still reference it. Um, but yeah, I love like the Geonosis is such a cool part. And it, you know, the frustrate, frustrating thing about Attack of the Clones is that I love the third act so much. But you have to get through the first two acts to get there. And But once you get to Geonosis... Like anything with Geonosis, like Obi-Wan just getting there and stuff like that. Anything from there on, it's great. It's really good stuff. It's a lot of like, like because this whole movie is all about a mystery. It's a whodunit. It's kind of in a way like that, trying to figure out the mystery of the assassin is what it starts off as. And then they stumble upon an even bigger conspiracy because they're wondering um, about the vote, about the separatists. It gets all answered all at once. And it's really cool. And you get like so many set pieces. You get the Coliseum battle between the three uh padme anakin and obi-wan versus those three aliens which i think is really fun um i like how they're just all watching them like kick the shit out of these animals like these alien animals and not doing anything um and then you get the jedi aspect of it which i think is amazing like i think my jaws dropped when i saw that i always you know i think about lightsaber battles i think of geonosis and uh, it shows how vulnerable jedi are too like to non-humans i love that stuff i think it's so good Oh, yeah, man. Like Attack of the Clones is great for having a lot of new Star Wars settings. The whole prequel trilogy is great for that. Um, Introducing a lot of different places. Um, Geono- like I love that we get to see down on the streets of Coruscant. We don't get to see that very much. We get that in the beginning of the movie. But Geonosis is so cool looking, such a cool looking planet. Um, the, all the stuff in the droid factory is really cool. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy that. Um, and yeah, once we get to the Battle of Geonosis... I mean, I think it would be easy for us to forget today what a huge deal it must have been to Star Wars fans in 2002 to see all of these Jedi bust out their lightsabers and fight in a big army. Like, holy shit, we've never seen anything like that. We still, in live action, haven't seen anything to that level. I mean, there's a lot of that that kind of stuff in, like, um, the new Star Wars books, like the Old Republic, or it's not exactly the Old Republic, but it's something like that. Um, But we don't see, like tons of jedi all together fighting together very much and uh and the battle of geonosis is probably the best you're going to get for that it is very very cool mm-hmm. um and uh I, I one part that makes me sad though i must admit makes me sad when Django gets decapitated because i i can't help it man i like Django and i don't really want to see him die <laughs> i know but it gets a very much homage to how boba dies or quote uh, got eaten up in episode six his jetpack gets broken and he falls into the pit. Um, same thing with Django. He gets his jetpack destroyed by like that bull thing. I don't know what you call that. I can't believe I don't know what the name of that alien is. Um, but it ruins his jetpack, so he can't fly away, which I think is very pivotal. But I think it shows the proud, like the stark difference between Obi Wan and Mace Windu, because Obi Wan struggled with Mace, um, or or, or Obi Wan struggled with Django, but Django just could not keep up with Mace Windu at all. Yeah, I mean Mace Windu is. He, he it's clear he is one of the most powerful Jedi because um, Anakin says like Obi-Wan is so powerful. He's almost as powerful as Master Windu or something like that. Mm-hmm. So you're absolutely right about that. 
Also, when he pulls out his lightsaber and like puts it right on Dooku, and they start talking again, this the, part is over. <laughs> uh, I love the parts. Like again, movies and shows and stuff that comes out after makes that two those two's interaction even more like badass because of like you know the rivalry that they had in a way. Um, yeah. Oh, there's a Tales of the Jedi scene where they're off on a mission together, Dooku and Windu. Oh, okay. I just really know cool. that that they were together like in a speaking moment. I don't know that they were in a mission, so that's cool to know. But any interactions that they had before Attack of the Clones that I see in extended stuff, I already think there's a history there. Uh, because Mace Windu seems very much like, I want to fight you. I want to defeat you already. I'm done with this. Like, there's some personal vendetta, it feels like. Just like the way he approaches Dooku. And Dooku just seems very much like I had the better of you and stuff like that. Or, you know, like, you know, I'm better than you, but you have to put this facade up. Maybe it's because of the bitterness about the Jedi position, the Jedi Council position, possibly. I'm not sure. Um, but again, I love seeing Dooku with all the, the separatists. And then there's Jango like by his side. And when Jango does that, it's very quick and anticlimactic. It's sad. It happened so soon in their battle, you know? Could you imagine after the clones show up, which amazing scene, um, and Janko's still alive? You know, I would be, I'd be so badass. Um, and you get that heartbreaking scene where you see Boba find his helmet after. Ugh. Yeah, it's sad. Although it kind of gets, I mean, I don't know. What are, your, what are your thoughts with C-3PO with the head swapping segment during all of that? <laughs> I could take it or leave it. It's yeah. a little goofy, but it doesn't bother me either. I mean, C-3PO being a goofball around, pretty normal for Star Wars, so and it's you get, fine. You get introduced to R2-D2's jetpack in the Geonosis droid factory, too. Oh, that's true. Very important to Lego Star Wars. <laughs> Very much. <laughs> this movie was the blueprint for it. Um, I also love the part where Dooku kind of barters with the Jedi and says, like, what does he say? Master Windu, your your effort was gallant. And he's like, you know, telling him to surrender or they'll be killed. And he says, I'm sorry, old friend. And it's like, oh, I feel like Dooku would actually let them go. I don't know. I know Dooku's this bad guy, but I don't feel like he would do bad things like that. I don't know why. It's like I'm I'm always conflicted with Dooku. Because I feel like he would turn on City until episode three, which I, I have some problems with. Um, I feel like before all that, I feel like he's very impressionable to turning against Sidious and just doing what he wants to do, I guess. Yeah, I I don't know that Dooku is as evil as a lot of other Sith. Like, I don't think, I mean, he's, he's definitely not as evil as Palpatine. I don't even think he's as evil as Anakin eventually becomes, as Vader. Um, I do think Dooku is more of a political adversary, like they sort of describe him in this. And he believes that the Jedi and the Republic are corrupt. And in many ways, he's right. He's just kind of going about it the wrong way and he's following the wrong person. But um, he does murder Yaddle in Tales of the Jedi, which is pretty, oh. <laughs> that, that's pretty evil. But um he is like a more reasonable maybe than a lot of other star Wars villains. Maybe. Yeah. I, I, I can see where you're going with, with that because also like, he doesn't have like the, it's a very nerdy thing. He doesn't have like the Sith eyes like Maul had or like Anakin eventually gets either. You know, he's very That's much true. human, very much through all of this, like his, his appearance um, other than like his force lightning. But, um, when when um, Yoda shows up with the clones and they just bulldoze through that arena and then they go on to the even larger battle of Geonosis, 
man, it's just like dialed to a thousand for me. It's just like gunships destroying everything. The clones, I think they look awesome in this movie. The ships look cool. I love seeing the the villains kind of scatter. Like, how do they amass an army so quickly? Our communications are down and stuff like that. And then it's like the Jedi leading the clones. Oh my God. Like, I don't know. Lucas just nailed the whole battle of Geonosis. It's just like the parts where it's the clones fighting the droids and the, um, on the gunships. Oh my God. It's just so cool. You see all this new machinery that honestly, when I watch this movie, I think, oh, how's that stuff going to get converted to like ATATs and ATSTs with the Empire? You know? And I think that's why it's really fun but also guilty to like enjoy the clones because it's like oh this is just the this is pre-empire right now you know what i mean yeah i would probably say that attack the third act of attack of the clones in the whole star wars skywalker saga at least is probably the least emotionally meaningful and resonant but it's packed with a lot of cool looking shit and yeah. that does go a long way. Yeah, that's the stuff that sell, sold the video games, sold the figures and everything like that for me. The movie's literally called Attack of the Clones, but you have to wait until the very end of the movie to see them attacking things. <laughs> that's true. But we eventually definitely do get an Attack of the Clones. You can't call it false advertising. That's very true. I also love the part where the gun, the gunship gets destroyed and then Mace Windu goes, pilot, land on an emergency part. And he's like, get me the fuck out of this ship. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of think it's a little lame though when the gunships are chasing Dooku through Geonosis and they're like, attack him, we're out of rockets, sir. And I'm like, what? How? Like, okay. It's um, kind of funny visually when Dooku's just kind of sitting on that thing and it's very obvious that like everything there is CGI except for Christopher Lee. Yeah. It looks kind of funny. I admit it. Yeah. Also, I love how Padme just bosses that clone trooper <laughs> like when they fall out together and she's just bossing him around and stuff um yeah a very leia moment mm -hmm, mm -hmm. let's talk about that battle though with anakin and obi-wan again let's do oh man um when you see dooku's lightsaber which takes forever i think it's such a cool moment seeing the hilt how it is but i think what's even more jaw-dropping is you see him use force lightning yeah immediately um and i like how obi-wan and anakin apparently having done these missions together again in the beginning of the movie, they have issues with getting along and communicating together because Anakin gets very rash, doesn't listen to Obi-Wan, and then just goes after Dooku and gets uh, the Force Lightning on him. I think that's really cool because you haven't seen, you didn't see Maul do anything like that. I think Maul, all he did was do a Force push at most. He never used the Force, really. Um, and then Dooku has, the only time we've seen Force Lightning was with the Emperor in Episode 6. Um... Like, I mean, like, that's a, to me, that was a very jaw dropping moment that shows, like, I guess how powerful Dooku is because we hadn't seen that up except with the biggest bat of them all. Yeah, that is really cool. Force lightning is always used as kind of like a shocking moment, which is great. Mm -hmm. um, it is used again in Rise of Skywalker in a very shocking moment. Mm -hmm. And that stuff is definitely cool. I just love how Dooku just whoops ass in that scene. Like he just hands Obi-Wan and Anakin's asses to them like pretty quickly. I do love that Anakin for a brief time uses both a green and a blue lightsaber. That is an image I do remember ever since I was a kid, just being kind of in love with the imagery of Anakin with a blue and green saber. It looks awesome. He loses the green saber really quick. So it's very brief. But um, it's cool while it lasts, but he, he eventually is the one who cuts Anakin's hand off, which is very cool. Mm -hmm. But after all that, 
Yoda comes in and man, is that a scene? Mm -hmm. That's some good shit. I will say real quickly before we get to that with Dooku, um, when he's fighting Anakin and it's uh, Obi-Wan out um, there, the two are fighting. Anakin hits like uh, the lights to turn the lights dim. And all you just see are the two lightsabers. It's a throwback to Empire Strikes Back when it's um, good Luke, point. Luke and Vader in the the kryptonite chamber. Not kryptonite. The uh, <laughs> whoops. Um, the carbon freezing chamber. And uh, when they're fighting like that, it's very much the same scene. And, and it's very similar. And I love that. And as a kid, I was thought that was really cool because I felt like for a minute I'm watching Empire. And I was like, oh, I'm having a good time. Um, Great point. I didn't even yeah. think about that. Uh, uh, and then when, yeah, when Yoda comes, I love how he's just walking very slow. I think it's just kind of like show because all we've seen him is walking slow or on a, like a little hover thing. Yeah. I don't know. When I saw Yoda pull out his, well, fight the lightning off and just like close it. I was like, how is that? Like, how can you do that? That's so cool. Um, and it's a battle of like the force. I think to me, that's like homage to their relationship where Dooku was always strong with the force because he was trained by Yoda. Um, again, another moment where Dooku loved his master, his, his Padawan Qui-Gon, but does he love his master who trained him in Yoda? You know, because Yoda is just a direct adversary to him in terms of political ideology. Um, and I wonder if like there's a battle of like emotion along with the wits, the wits being the force being used before they even get into um, aggressive negotiations with a lightsaber. Yeah, I don't think so. There doesn't seem to be any positive feelings between Dooku and uh, and Yoda. Uh, probably like Dooku just saw Yoda as this old dude. And that's probably about it. Yeah. Um, but I love their fight. I love when they're throwing stuff at each other with the Force. And Dooku is like, it is clear this contest of our knowledge of the Force cannot be solved. Um, <laughs> and when they get out the lightsabers, I can only imagine. Like, I have heard from people who saw this movie opening night that crowds just lost their shit when you Yoda brings out a lightsaber because every, I'm sure everyone was always speculating, like, did this tiny little Muppet guy ever use a lightsaber? And when he busts that out, he's flipping around with it. I, I heard people just went crazy. And uh, and just thinking about that makes me happy. Yeah, it is like, that's when you get the whole, like, well, I know it's from, uh, I know it's from Empire Strikes Back where he says size matters not. But like you always saw with like prequel merchandise, Yoda with his lightsaber, and it always says like size matters not. And it's like, yeah, yeah, he had the small little green lightsaber. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, when he's jumping around and he's going like the whole time, it's kind of fun, but it's freaking chaotic. It's like a blur. <laughs> like even watching it now, I was like, oh my god, my head's like moving all over the screen. I'm like, geez, like I'd be, I'm frustrated just watching. I imagine fighting that little shit. It's like, oh my god. The patience that that Sith Lord had, jeez. <laughs> Do you think we'll ever see Grogu fight like that? I wanted to. I just wanted to see him <laughs> when it showed Yoda's lightsaber. I was like, "Oh, please just grab it for a second, please." <laughs> uh, he probably like just open it and then just like fly back, you know. Um, but yeah, I I think Yoda does get the best of Dooku because Dooku just kind of pieces out. He's like, "All right, I'm gonna just like drop this on them and I'm gonna leave because." Either he's like out of time or he's like realizing eh, I might not be able to beat him right now. Yeah. Um, very cowardly, but very smart at the same time. And when he does leave, no one can stop him. And you get that one brief moment where the clones are trying to like shoot him down and they just can't. He's just minding his own business when he's flying out. Like Dooku really just doesn't give like two fucks. Like he's very much like these are all like little roadblocks, but like not enough to piss me off. You know what I mean? He's very 
cool and collected. He is, yeah, yeah. And and it's cool that that Lucas went such a dramatically different direction with Palpatine's new apprentice. Um, and that we start off with Ninja D- Demon Man, and then we go to Elder Statesman Dracula. Mm-hmm. So it's cool that he tried two totally different things with this trilogy. Mm-hmm. I like how Yoda just like just kind of sighs when he sees um Luke not Luke, uh, Obi-Wan and Anakin together. And he's just like, man, look at these two. They just couldn't even not keep up with just one Sith. You know what I mean? Uh, which is funny because I wonder if there's a power shift between Dooku and Maul because Obi-Wan handled Maul, but he couldn't keep up with Dooku. And I'm curious what that, what the reason would that be, maybe. But then Dooku again, this... is definitely more powerful than Maul, for mm-hmm. sure. Okay. Um, when Dooku does leave... um. Before he left Geonosis, he grabbed the plans from that Geonosis leader who's part of the Separatists. And it's plans to the Death Star. For me, I didn't notice that when I first watched the movie as a kid. But my dad pointed out, he's like, look, there's the Death Star right there. And I'm like, wow, episode two. Like two episode, two movies before we see the actual Death Star, this thing was getting plotted out. And was it a Sith creation or was it the Geonosis' plan to create this thing? I didn't notice that either. That's really cool. But... Like I, I mentioned to you on our Rogue One episode, the book Catalyst, which is about, um, oh gosh, I'm struck Krennic and what is Mads Mikkelsen's name? Oh, uh, Mads Mikkelsen, uh, Jin Erso. Yeah, Jin Erso. No, that's his daughter, oh, Galen Erso. Uh, Galen Erso. That's it. So that book is about Krennic and Galen. It starts out during the Clone Wars, and that's oh. when Galen gets recruited to start working on this Death Star plan. So it starts out as a Republic project, interestingly that's enough. scary. So like that a goes Manhattan? along with that. Is that like a Manhattan project in Star Wars? Yeah, kind of. That's a good comparison. Yeah, kind of. That's kind of scary. I kind of don't fuck with the Republic if that's the case. <laughs> my god so i wonder if they got the plans because it was from palpatine but at the same time when he gave it to dooku he was like my master will really appreciate this or has been wanting this or something like palpatine was looking for the plans maybe he couldn't get them and maybe he had someone steal them for him i'm not sure yeah something like that probably yeah there's like again there's a lot of stuff in the background in this movie they like if you don't really look at it like you might miss it again i never noticed it when i first watched it a couple of times so shout out my dad for pointing that out um at the end of the movie when dooku goes to it's coruscant and he sees palpatine and they're they're finally together talking this is the first time we see him talking together um it's a very eerie scene it's very dark it's a very calm scene but you hear like that like sith anthem where you hear the oh you know and it's just very eerie like he's like we've we you've succeeded my master War has begun. Good, good. You know, everything I've planned is going. It's like, you know, like, you know, like this is going to be like for the long haul. Like the fact that they wanted to start a war in the first place, you know, and it took this long <laughs> to do is very or eerie and evil. But I, then I love the contrast where it's Obi-Wan now talking to um, Windu and Yoda. And he's talking about, is that true? Was there any truth to Dooku? They really don't answer it. Yeah, because they don't. They don't really know the force is clouded. Their, their connection to the force is clouded by that point. But I do love the the line from Yoda of um, we haven't had a victory like this is a failure begun. The Clone War has. Mm-hmm. And, it, and that goes along very well with his line in Empire about how war not, does not make one great. Mm. About how it's just something that's sad. Yeah, that's a good point, because it's kind of a I mean, I wouldn't say it's a meaningless war. 
But if you've been following the Jedi and like the quote unquote Republic of Good, it's kind of meaningless. It's just a political overtaking, you know? Like they're just yeah. slowly turning into an empire. There's re- it's a really pointless war for just a power shift. It's not even for fighting to gain anything. It's just a ploy. And it makes it really disheartening and sad, you know, when you apply it to the real world in terms of how wars are now. Thank yeah. God they use clones and droids. <laughs> 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 then again, clones are, you know, still people. They're people too. Yeah. Captain Rex, shout yeah, out. There you go. But yeah, I also... <laughs> Uh, what was it? I? I think it's so eerie when you see the clones and you see uh, Senator Bail Organa and Palpatine and the Emporium of them um, from the Chancellor's, uh, you know, wing. I guess watching the clones all line up and get shipped off for deployment and stuff. It's very. I used to think that was really cool, but you hear the Empire March when it's playing, and it's like this yes. movie's not subtle about anything. It's just True. like it's just like yeah, like it's too far gone now. You also hear the Empire theme play after Anakin has his outburst about the Tuscans that just kind of crumbles to the floor and the Empire theme is playing. That's really good, too. Yeah, really good music in these prequel movies. Really good stuff. Speaking of the music, hot take, probably my hottest take on this episode. My favorite new piece of music that George Lucas wrote for the prequels is Across the Stars, the love theme from this movie. I think it is so beautiful. Oh, is that the song that plays at the end when they're getting married together? Had yeah, you? and it plays yeah. several times. It's like da 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 da. da. It's so beautiful. Mm, that is nice. The ending when they get married, it's like a scene where it's like if you blink, you might miss it. But <laughs> it's still like it's cool that it ends that way. Like he's still kind of like it started off with a meeting, reuniting, and then trying to get together, and then at the end they very much do get together, and. You think he gets freaky with that robot arm or what? <laughs> Probably. Um, yeah, I. Uh, by the way, I believe that they did have sex in this movie. After they have their like fireside talk, um, the next morning he's like out meditating and she comes out and she's like, oh, I heard you having a nightmare last night. Uh, my headcanon is they definitely did sleep together that night. Um, <laughs> But yeah, when they get married, it does feel rushed. You're like, okay, so we've established you guys are in love with each other. Fine. You're already getting married. Okay. You're not just going to have like an illicit affair because technically you're not supposed to be together anyway. Mm -hmm. Maybe it would have been better if we reveal at the beginning of three that they had gotten married in between. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't matter, but it, it does always feel a little bit rushed for me. Yeah, that's a good point. They're not very subtle about it. We'll talk about it next episode with three and their relationship. Um, but yeah, it does feel weird that it's, like I said, I think you just blink and you might miss it. And it also, you might miss the robot arm thing. But again, that's, you know, Luke ends up getting a robot arm too. So that's kind of fun to see. Like father, like son. Yeah, it, it pays off Return of the Jedi when Luke chops off his arm and sees that it's robotic. Yep, yep. Uh, but yeah, other than that, I think I, for a long time watching this movie, I was always very critical and very much a little bit more like groany about it. But on this most recent rewatch, and I think with a lot of the extra supplemental stuff that's come out for Star Wars, it makes me enjoy this movie more. It's it's kind of fun watching as a mystery and delving in into like an even bigger conspiracy type of movie. Um, if like you think like all the presidents matter, something like that, um, because it's political and it has to do with um, like alternative alternative agendas, um, you know, in you know controversy and stuff like that within the political realm but also it works well as uh, an engaging 
like action movie because there's really great action like you said at parts i think the music is just really good it makes even the scenes that kind of dreary a little bit more digestible um mm-hmm. i definitely appreciated this watch a lot more than i had before yeah i, I it is still my least favorite star wars yeah, movie yeah. uh because there's a <laughs> lot of execution problems but it has a lot of good ideas a good story um it's got some good action it's got some characters i really like um I think it, there's just no way I can call this a bad movie. I just can't. I think all Star Wars is good. This is good Star Wars. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And it's like, it's called Attack of the Clones. They didn't have an army. And I think it's weird that a Republic doesn't have an army. Like the whole thing about that movie, I kept thinking it's like, you know, trying to you know pass legislation to get an army or get money for an army or something of that sort. And it's like, so, like, if you had opposition, what was it dealt with? Was it just, like, negotiations with a lightsaber, like Anakin's constantly joking about in this movie? Because um, It's it kind of like they just had a lot of peace. It was just very peaceful. Hmm. Maybe that's what makes it hard, hard to believe living in the world today. <laughs> no kidding, right? Uh, but, yeah, I, I think it just really works well that way. Um, excuse me. And you see a lot of, like, revisiting scenes, and then you see things, like I said, you pay homage to the original trilogy. I think it's really cool. And I think this movie, more than any of the other movies, gets heightened because of the sequel trilogy. And for me, that's the really big thing. I think this movie really pushes more for the sequel trilogy than anything else. I think Ryan Johnson did really well in Last Jedi, calling back not only the prequel movies, but I felt specifically the Attack of the Clones movie. Yeah, good point. Uh, Star Wars just has a way of constantly making itself better, which is awesome. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but any last thoughts? Any final um, opinions on this? No, I don't think so. But uh, I'm just really, really excited to talk about the next movie. I know. <laughs> That's the thing with bi- the, the hard thing about this this uh, podcast with this one is I have I just want to binge through all of them. But it's like, no, no, I got to space them out, get my thoughts cleared and stuff like that before recording. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, other than that, I think uh, people should really revisit Attack of the Clones. I, I do think it gets un, very harshly criticized. And I think it was the one that didn't age the best. But there's a lot of good stuff in it. And I think it also, I think, is the most pivotal in terms of all this extra stuff we get on Disney Plus with Star Wars. Um, but yeah, I definitely recommend people check it out. Um, again, during Star Wars Ember. Uh, Daniel, where can people find you if they don't already? You can find the Cobwebs podcast on all podcast apps. Uh, if Twitter still exists, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Cobwebs Pod. Follow me personally at Epler Daniel. Mm-hmm. And remember, Daniel's a political idealist, not a murderer. Um, shout out Kia Moody for his cameo in Attack of the Clones and Kit Fisto. Um, but yeah, other than that, my name is Chris at Inside the Sequel. You can follow us at uh, sequelpod at gmail.com go ahead and email the show there if you have like any requests or you don't want to share anything um, for recommendations um, check us out on Twitter again like Daniel said we'll see if Twitter will survive before episode 3 um, but you can follow us on Twitter follow me on fantastic underscore Chris as well check us out on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you listen to your podcast we are there um, but tune in next Friday so we can talk about Revenge of the Sith um, I know that's the one I think a lot of people are excited for um, if you did check out last episode where we talked about Phantom Menace, that's available now out as well. But other than that, um, just remember, begun the Clone War has. If you are watching Star Wars during November, if you really care about cinema, other than that, may the Force be with you.